Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. It was one year ago that I stood here and I talked to you about Cindy's homegoing. We were in a series called This Is Us. And we were talking about how every single church has its own unique DNA. And how that even though Cindy wouldn't be physically with us any longer, she'd always be apart because her fingerprints were on everything that we do. You see, the Met was started because God placed in the heart of Bill and Cindy to, to begin a church for people who previously would have never stepped foot into a church. And because they answered that call, thousands upon thousands of people have come to know the Lord, have come to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we continue to do what we do. And that's why Cindy will always be a part of every life that changes here at the Met. And then I talked to you about what what Jesus said to John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He was the the one that came before Jesus. He was the one preparing the way for Jesus. He was kind of Jesus' opening act. He had all his followers, and he said, yeah, you're following me, but the one who comes after me is greater than me. He's the one you need to be ready for. And then one day, John's out walking, and he sees Jesus. He sees him, and he says, that's him. That's the guy I've been telling you about. That's the Lamb of God. That's, the, that's the, the one who's come to take away the sins of the world. That's the guy we need to follow. That's the guy we need to put our trust in. That's him. And that's what John does. He puts his trust in Jesus until his circumstances change. See, John did what all of us have a problem with doing. That we're, we're, we're glad about following Jesus and believing in him and putting our faith in him as long as Jesus is doing everything we want him to do. But the minute all of a sudden things start to go south, the minute we're not getting what we want, when we want, how we want, now all of a sudden we start to doubt. Can we really follow you? Can we really trust you? And that's where John was. And so what John does, he sends a, a couple of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? Are you the person I thought you were? And so Jesus says, this is what you need to go back and tell John. Tell him, I'm doing everything that you said I would do. I'm the one you thought I was. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 11. He says this. He said, blessed, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And what Jesus was was saying to John and what Jesus was saying to you and me is that I'm not always going to do what you want me to do. I'm not always going to change your situation. I'm not always going to answer your prayers the way you want me to answer those. But you can still trust me because I'm fulfilling God's plan. I like what Bill says. He says, Jesus didn't come to change your circumstance. 
He came to change you. Jesus didn't come to, to, to do what you want him to do. He came to change you. And so regardless of, of what he does or doesn't do in your circumstances, you can trust him. You can believe in him. You can put your faith in him because he wants the best for you. And so that's why today I thought the best thing I could talk about is what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when you are faced with a situation that you just can't change? What do you do when your world's been turned upside down and you can't fix it? Kind of like what all of us have been for the last few months. We've been in this storm and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. And we just don't know what to do. Well, James, the brother of Jesus says, this is what you need to do. But I got to be honest with you. Some of you aren't going to like what he has to say. See, some of you are going to think what James is saying is a little insensitive. Because how can James make this blanket statement about what we need to do when we don't know what to do when he has no idea what we're going through? See, we're all in this storm, but we're not all in the same boat. It's affected some of us different. And for James to say, no, this is what you do no matter what, just doesn't seem right. I mean, some of you have lost loved ones through this storm. Some of you have lost jobs. You've lost your income. Some of you have been furloughed from your jobs. Some of you don't even have jobs to come back to. Whereas others, you've just kind of been inconvenienced by this storm. I mean, you've had to learn to work differently. You've had to, to learn to manage your household differently and manage your kids differently. And some of you, you've not been able to do things that you were really looking forward to. You didn't get to do your prom. You didn't get to do your graduation. But it didn't hit you the way it hit some others. And so for James to just throw us all into this one category just seems insensitive. But before you tune him out, you need to realize you need to listen because he is the brother of Jesus and he speaks from experience. See, James for 30 years led the church in Jerusalem. After Jesus' death and resurrection, James started leading the church in Jerusalem and he led it through some of the most difficult times that anybody could imagine. Remember that first century Christians were the most persecuted people on the planet. It was just hard for them to survive. And it was the same thing in Jerusalem. You see, the, the Jews living there would have nothing to do with the Christ followers. They thought their life, they thought they were blasphemers for how they lived their life. They thought they were living a life that was offensive to God. How could they be living this way? And so they ostracized them from society. They ostracized them from the temple. The temple wouldn't take care of the poor. And so they were just struggling to get by. In fact, Paul, when he would go on his mission trips and start planting churches around the Mediterranean Rim, he would get Gentiles to donate money that he would take back to try to take care of the impoverished Christians living in Jerusalem. So for 30 years, James is managing a community in crisis. And this is what he said to that community in crisis. And this is what he's saying to all of us when we're in crisis. And it's found in James 1. And he says this. 
He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right off the bat, what James is doing is he's letting everybody know who's writing this and what he believes. Because remember, they didn't have a Bible back in the first century, okay? So what they did to get the word out, they had to write it down. And so the author would, would put his name on there so everybody knew who was saying it. James is saying, this is what God has told me to tell you. Because that would be passed around for everybody to hold on to. And he said, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice he doesn't say a servant of God and my brother, Jesus. What he does is he puts God and Jesus at the same level. He puts them as one and the same. He's telling people that have been saying, you've lived in a life that's offensive to God to say, no, you're not. Because Jesus is God. You're following God by living your life this way. And this is so amazing that he's saying this. Because remember, when, when, when Jesus was doing his ministry, James didn't follow him. James thought Jesus was crazy. I mean, you've got to cut him some slack, right? I mean, after all, what could your brother tell you that would make you believe he was the son of God? Huh? I mean, there's, they would be pretty hard. I mean, he pretty much had to tell you that he was going to die and three days, three days later he was going to raise again and actually pull that off. Well, that's what Jesus did. And that's what changed James. He no longer saw him as his brother. He saw him as his Lord. And he led the church in Jerusalem for 30 years. And you know why it came to an end? Because James was put to death for believing that his brother was the son of God who died and rose again. But before he died, he wrote this. And he was writing it to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And remember, Israel was comprised of these 12 tribes. Remember, Jesus comes through one of those tribes, the line of Judah. He comes through these, and he's writing to them because they've all been dispersed. Because remember, if you go through the Old Testament and you see the history of, of what was happening in Israel, is they were always overrun by other nations who would come in and destroy, and they would cart off people into slavery into different parts. And so James is writing to all of those uh, people that were born Jewish that have now become Christ followers. He's saying, I know what you're all going through. I know what you're all dealing with. But this is what you need to understand. And he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. See, right off the bat, what James does, he puts us all in the same boat. He says that life is a storm and you're all in the same boat. That it's, you don't do one thing if you have a, if I have a hard trial. You don't do one thing if you just have one, a trial that's more of an inconvenience. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, what you do is you consider it pure joy. You reframe your thinking and you consider it pure joy. Now notice, he doesn't say be happy. He didn't say be excited that you're going through this. He didn't say, you know, call up your friends and have a party about what's going on. He knows you haven't chosen to do this. See, he didn't say happy because what is happy? Happy is all based on us getting what we want, right? You are most happy when you get your way. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 11? You're not always going to get your way. I'm not going to always do things the way you want me to do it. So he's not saying be happy that you're going through something. He's saying consider it pure joy. Well, what is joy? Here's to me what joy is. Joy is something you have. Because you've received what you need. Let me say that again. Joy is something you have. Because you have received what you need. And what James is saying. 
is that all of you have received Jesus. All of you have Jesus in your life. And because you have Jesus, you can look at what you go through differently than anybody else. Somebody can can look at a circumstance who doesn't have Jesus with no hope. You can look at it with hope. You can look at anything you face differently than anybody else because you've received what you need. You have Jesus. And you need to realize that anything that you're going through had to first get through Jesus to get to you. So you need to realize that he's allowing you to go through this because he's wanting to do something in you and through you. And so that's why you can consider it joy. You can look at it different. And he says this, he says, whenever, he didn't say if ever. He doesn't say this is a, a, a possibility. He doesn't say this is a maybe. He's letting us know that we are going to face trials, plural. I love what Bill says. He says, life is all about three different stages all the time that just keep going over and over. You're either going into a trial, you're in the middle of a trial, you're just coming out of one. And this is what James is saying. This is what life is gonna look like. You're gonna face many trials. And the word face here, what's interesting, if you look it up in the Greek, it has the, the idea of surprise. That you are facing something that you just weren't expecting. It just totally caught you off guard. It's like getting that phone call in the middle of the night that you weren't waiting for. It's, it's, it's getting that diagnosis from a doctor that you weren't waiting for. And he's saying that when you get this, what you first thing you need to do instead of panicking is realize that you have Jesus. And Jesus is gonna be with you through this and he's gonna do something in you and through you because of this. So reframe your thinking to be pure joy. He said, whenever you face trials of many kinds, and this is why, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See, what God is trying to do with everything you go through is to, to produce perseverance in you. He's trying to make you stronger. And what is perseverance? Perseverance is the ability to stand in the face of adversity. It's to stand on what you believe in in the face of adversity. It's to be able to keep going with God when the rest of the world is telling you to give up on God. How can you keep following God with all that you're going through, with all that you're facing? How can you do that? Because you know God is in this. He's producing something in you to change you. And what James is saying is the only way that he can produce that perseverance is to have you go through things, to have you face these trials. That's the only way for you to get stronger is to face this. Because he said, it's that testing of your faith. And what is testing? Testing just shows you where you're at. When you're in school and you take a test, you're learning where you are at, how much you know about the subject. And he's saying that every trial lets you know where you're at with your faith. And the faith that he's talking about is your confidence in God. He's saying everything you go through is showing you where your confidence in God is. Think about it. Think about the last time you were, you were caught off guard by something, something that just hit you. It showed you where your faith was that quick because you knew were you in this panic or did you consider it joy because you knew who was with you and who was gonna see you through it. 
And so he says, he's testing your faith. That's what he was doing with John. He was testing his faith. That John was trusting, but then he was doubting. I think about the disciples. You look at, you look at how, how Jesus let them get through all of these different trials to test, to get them to where they needed to be. Because he knew that one day he was leaving and he needed them to carry on that ministry. And so he had them go through things. I mean, think about their, 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 their faith. Think about the, the disciples' faith. Here's some guys who meet this guy and he says, come follow me. And they leave their families, they leave their homes, they leave their businesses to follow him. That's got to be a tremendous amount of faith to leave everything, to drop everything, to follow him. And then they're, they're with him through all the different things that are going on. And they get, the, 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 they get up close and personal with him healing people and performing all these miracles. I mean, you just can't imagine what their faith should be expanding like crazy. Here they are with Jesus. But then what we're, remember what happens in the Sea of Galilee. They're out in the middle of the sea. Jesus had just been teaching and preaching and performing all these miracles. They'd seen it all. Now they get in a boat and they go there and the storm comes. And what do they do? They go crying to Jesus. They're waking him up going, don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to drown? See, what the disciples were saying is that I have plenty of faith in the storm. I have plenty of faith in what the storm's going to do to me. It's going to kill me. I just don't have faith in what you're going to do for me. That's why they were in this panic. And Jesus gets up and he calms the storm. And he says, where's your faith, guys? He's going, where was your faith that made you leave everything to come follow me? Where's that faith? Where's that faith that made you keep following me and, and, and because you saw all the miracles that I was doing? You saw what I can do. Where, where, where's that faith? And that's what every trial you go through is an opportunity for you to see where your faith is. But it's also an opportunity, just like what the disciples saw, of God's faithfulness to you. See, it's his faithfulness that helps produce that perseverance. Because as you see how God continues to bring you through everything that you go through, that what happens, your perseverance grows and grows and grows. And that's why James says this. He says, let perseverance finish its work. He's saying, don't give up in the process because it is a process. This isn't something that's a one and done that I, I've, oh, I've got all the faith I need right now. We saw that with the disciples. We saw that with John. We see that with people in the Bible. It's the same with you. It's a process. And that's why every single time, the first thing that happens in your life that, that, that gets you uneasy, you've got to consider it joy because it helps you stay in the process. It helps you stay believing that Jesus actually has a plan for this, that Jesus is using this to change me. I've got to stay in the process. I've got to let perseverance finish its work. And why should it finish its work? It's because so that I may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
Now, this is what I think he's saying right here. I, I think it's what Jesus was telling all of us in, in John 16, 33, when he said, in this world, you'll have trouble. That's gonna happen, but take heart. See, I believe when we're complete is the fact that every time we face something, we start seeing it the way Jesus sees it. That's what he was saying. When he was telling the disciples, take heart, I've overcome the world. When I see that there's nothing that could stop my savior, I realize now that there's nothing that can stop me. That's what complete is. Because I have Jesus. And I think that's what he's trying to get you to do. Is to realize that, yes, you're going to face difficulties. Yes, you're going to get caught by surprise by so many things. But it's not going to defeat you. And when you start looking at everything you face, that God has already given you the victory, it changes your mindset. And he says, let it finish so that you will complete, you will see things the way God wants you to see it. But James knew that was going to be typical. That was going to be difficult for us to see that. And that's why he says this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and what is wisdom? Being on the same page with God. That's what wisdom is, is being able to see things the way God sees things. And you and I have trouble when we're not on the same page. That's why we're not supposed to lean on our understanding. Because we're not always going to see eye to eye. And he says, if you're not ha- seeing eye to eye with God, if you're lacking that wisdom, if, if this trial that you're going through of what you're dealing with has really got you messed up, he says this. He says, you should ask God. If you're having trouble of why you're going through this, why you're dealing with this, he says, don't give up. Just ask God. Just ask him. And he says, he will give generously to all without finding fault. He's not going to be upset that you're not on the same page with him. Was he upset with John the Baptist? He wasn't upset when, when John was saying, hey, are you the one? He didn't say, forget about you. What did he do? He assured him he was the one. And we know that John held on to his faith. Because what does Jesus say about him? He goes on to say, of anybody born of woman, he was the greatest. He held on to his faith. He's not going to be upset that you're questioning. What he's going to do is assure you that he's in control. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You look at it different. You consider it joy. Because you know Jesus has got you. And he's doing something in and through you. Because you are going to face trials of many different kinds. But you can consider it joy because every trial you go through is letting you see just how much your faith is growing. It's letting you see how much your confidence in God is growing. And that's why don't give up in the middle of the process. Because when you get there, you're going to start seeing things the way that God sees things. I love what Bill always says. He always says that if we could see as God sees, we'd want what he wants. It's trials that get you there. And if you're having a problem, Ask. He'll help you get through it.
He'll help you get through whatever you're going through. Now, I don't know about you, but people that have that kind of faith, they inspire me. I mean, they give me the courage to keep going through no matter what I face. I mean, it's great to see people who have this incredible faith that keep getting yeses from God all the time. Everything they're going through, they get what they want. It's just going to be God just kind of blesses them in the way that they already want. But man, those people that keep getting no's from God, but they hold on to the faith, that inspires me more than anything else because it lets me know there's that kind of faith out there, that I can have that kind of faith, a faith that perseveres through anything that I face. And we have all been very, very blessed to be able to see that kind of faith in action because we have a pastor that has gotten no after no after no from God through things that he's been praying for. But he stood up here and showed how he persevered and his faith. And that's encouraging to every single one that there's that kind of faith out there. And so I thought instead of me trying to wrap this message up, I went back and found something that Bill had taught on about perseverance, about how you can persevere through anything you face, through all your pain. And I thought it would be best to end it with have Bill teaching. Take a look at this. You have the perseverance in your pain. Just don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Try not to give out. Just don't quit. You see it in that word patience. Twice James uses the word patience. Well, what does that word literally mean in a biblical context? The idea of patience, get this, means to endure under a difficult circumstance. Remember how I defined a wound? I defined it as something that is just ongoing, that's there, that you never fully threw it. What is developed in the midst of that is patience. God is teaching you how to be strong in the midst of your struggle. By the way, you see that in nature. You see those little caterpillars and they're crawling along and all of a sudden they see the little butterfly and one caterpillar says to another, you'll never get me up one of those things. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny if you think about it. <laughs> That's my last lame joke. <laughs> but all of a sudden those caterpillars go into the cocoon. And all of a sudden in the cocoon, there's a, a metamorphosis that is taking place and they begin to fight against the cocoon. And what emerges from the cocoon is the butterfly. And what I've understood by studying that is that if you try to assist the butterfly as it's trying to emerge from the cocoon, that you can weaken it to the point that you could kill it. Have you ever heard the term, those of you that raise chickens or you were raised around them or, or you, you're familiar with birds, you heard the term egg tooth, an egg tooth? A baby chick will develop a little hard place on its beak and it develops it in a way so that when it's time for it to begin to peck against the shell to free itself from the shell, it's called an egg tooth. <laughs> it's when that little baby's about to break out and go to a, a whole other dimension, a whole other level. It has that little egg tooth. And begins, did you know uh, the mama bird won't help the baby bird when it's trying to struggle to free itself from the egg? You know why? Because the struggle gives the baby strength. And can I tell you, sometimes we struggle against the difficulties of life and the painful experience, and it feels like, it feels like sometimes God is silent when he's not. 
He knows that there is strength in the struggle. He's saying what you're going through is creating a patience. It's creating a perseverance. You're learning how to toughen up. You're learning how, listen, you're learning how to play hurt. And listen, guys, a lot of life, you're going to have to play hurt. And you're learning how to deal with that. You're learning how to deal with that. Your egg tooth is, is knocking away, and you're freeing yourself so that you can go to that next level. And so I, I just want you to know that when you're in the middle of this, learn the value of perseverance. Let me close with three very positive things to consider when you're going through something. Number one, remember, God is watching. He's watching. He's not just some distant deity. You know, a lot of the deists believe God just created everything and like he put the train on the track and now he just stands back kind of distant and away from it and watches it and not moved by it. But that's not the case. God is watching. He sees the sparrow, the Bible says, when it falls. The Bible says he has even the hairs of your head numbered. He didn't say counted. If he had said counted, that means he knows how many there are. He said numbers. That knows, means he knows which one there are. Now, that doesn't mean he's got a bunch of accountants in heaven with nothing more to do than do this for math for him. All he's saying is he cares about the most minute detail of your life. He cares about you. So number one, hang on to this. God is watching. Number two, hang on to this. God is working. He's working. Right now, right where you're sitting, in your life, in this moment, in your experience, in your pain, he's working. And number three, he's waiting. He's waiting. I told you last week to prepare. You have to prepare your faith for the times when God says no. But can I suggest to you sometimes he just says, not now, not now. <laughs> you're not ready. We go over there to Met Kids. You pick those little boogers up here in a minute. You get ready to go. You're not going to pitch them the keys or the fob and say, drive us anywhere you want to go. Now, they'd love to do that. Their little feet could touch the pedals. But you're not going to do that. <laughs> Thank God you're not going to do that. But you won't do that. Now, you're, are, are you saying to them never? Or are you just saying to them not now? You're saying not now. You're not ready. You're not re Eventually, you'll, you'll have that experience. Eventually, that'll happen for you, but you're not, you're not ready. Can I just say, sometimes God allows the things in our life because he's moving us from where we were to where he would have us to be. And when he fe it feels like he's not responding and it feels like he's saying no, he may just be saying, not yet. You're not quite there yet. I don't want you to go up like a rocket and come down like a rock. <laughs> I want you to be able to sustain. So what do you do? When there's nothing you can do, let perseverance finish its work. Consider it joy. God's watching. God's working. And he's waiting because he's trying to make you complete, mature, lacking nothing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the fact that there's nothing that we go through that escapes you. That everything that we deal with, everything that catches us by surprise doesn't catch you by surprise. And God, we are thankful that you are working, that you are watching. 
And God, we just pray that you just help us to stay close to you, to depend on you, to keep trusting you through all of the dark things that we go through. Help us to understand that no matter what we face, that you are still on your throne and you are still in control so that we will let perseverance finish its work because we know you have a perfect plan for our life. And if there's anybody that's here or watching online that hasn't even started that journey with you yet, I know that you have been speaking to them this whole time. You have been tapping on their heart, saying, open it to me. Trust me. And if that's you, it's time. Just open up your heart right where you are. Just say, God, I need you. I know I need you. I know that I'm a sinner and I know that you love me so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for me and he rose again for me and now I can have life and that's why I surrender mine to you. I put my life in your hands. I trust you. If you said that, if you believe that, you're starting your journey with God. You now can look at anything you go through totally different. You can reframe it as God is using everything to make you complete. So God, help us to realize that same thing every day, that you are in control, you have a plan, and that you're using everything to complete us. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we do want to thank you for being here for tuning in, I want to make sure that you are back next weekend because guess what? We are opening up and uh, you'll be able to register starting tomorrow uh, on our website or on your, um, your apps that you have and we are, do have limited seating so make sure that you uh, sign up early for that because we can't wait to see everybody back uh, on campus. Bill's starting a brand new series called Renew. It's going to be an amazing thing to get us going. So I'm excited to see everybody uh, next week, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.